that's how we become in this country. We sit there and say, be careful what you say. I'm Italian-American. Careful what you say. I'm African-American. Careful what you say. I'm Asian-American. This joke has a happy ending. Focus. I am telling you. <laughs> stop it. Everybody in this room is American, period. End of story, okay? Look at me, people. My name is Gino Bisconti. I am obviously of Italian heritage, but if I go back to Italy, are they all gonna run up to me and say, welcome back, where have you been? <laughs> no, they're going to pat me down for a wire and shoot me, okay? <laughs> Honey, you're gorgeous, look at you, but if you go back to Africa, they're not gonna say, welcome home, my Nubian queen, are they? No, they're gonna say, mm-mm, click, click, get me NBA ticket. <laughs> That's a little bit of Gino Bisconti there. My guest here for today's podcast. Hi, everybody. Tony Mazur here. Check Your Brain podcast. And yes, indeed, we get a chance to talk to my friend Gino Bisconti. When I talked to him, set this interview up, and we were going to do it about noon. And I'm waiting and waiting and waiting. And I just sent a nice little message like, uh, hey, uh, are we still going? Are we still doing it today? Just want to make sure. And uh, didn't get back until about 12.40. <laughs> so about 40 minutes late. And uh, he goes, totally brain farted. I can do it right now. Uh, if you're still ready, I apologize. I was just putzing around, cleaning up. Can you give me five minutes to set up? Or did I blow my big opportunity? Ha, ha, ha. Hey, Google, play Spotify. <laughs> Gotta love voice to text, right? Yes, indeed, my guest is Gino Bisconti. This is part one. Yes, we did two parts because we did almost three hours, almost three hours, and did so over Zoom. Um, my recording might not be the greatest here, but I'm, I did what I could. So you might hear a little bit of like my laptop, like getting emails and whatnot, but uh, or text messages on my uh, MacBook. But hey, make do with what it is. Uh, this first part of the podcast, first we start talking about our love of cats. Yes, we have cats. We have cats. Uh, I have two. He has one. Um, and we got to talking about that. But got to talk to him a little bit about our starts in stand-up, how the Reverend Bob Levy basically gave us our first paid gigs just probably, gosh, maybe 20 years apart. But uh, you know, just getting to know a little bit of Gino, his start in stand-up comedy, talking a little bit about his family and kind of where he's going to go from here. So that's uh, So right here is part one of my conversation with Gino Bisconti. One half of the great duo of In Hot Water heard on Compound Media. And also go check out his album, Uncle Gino is Amazing. It's still available right now. GinoBisconti.com. Now, where'd you get? Oh, well, that's like a bandana you fashioned into a headband? Yeah. Oh, no. It's one of those stupid masks that we have. That, oh, uh, yeah. Oh, the Gator. The gator. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, I just that, made it that, into my headband. I got my glasses on. Now, as you know, that's what started this whole fucking, uh, hold on, put my fan on exhaust so I can smoke a cigar, even though it's my fucking house, Gus. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, that's how this whole fucking bandana thing started. I was wearing one of those and I was wearing it, you know, on the subway, you know, and then I put it down on my, but it, since it wraps around your whole head, you know, we're guinea. So I was sweating like a pig and then I pulled it up like that and I'm like, oh my God, I love this look. Because I can't grow my hair outside. I can't grow my hair long because it just poofs out sideways. But now, now daddy's locked and loaded on this, man. Hey, how is the, uh, 
How's the lovely lady? She's good. She's got, she might stop by just to say hi. Uh, uh, congratulations, you two. And I've got uh, I've got the kitty. Let's see. I've Six got. Should make a cameo, I'm sure, at some point. Come here, buddy. Come here. He's five months old today. Come here. Oh, happy birthday, buddy. This is Woody. Look at Woody. Woody said, hold on, hold on. I'll see if Six is feeling flirty. He's a good boy. Look, say hi, Woody. Oh, it's Six. She's a big star. Did you see? I don't know if you watch. I don't know if you follow me on Instagram or watch Morning, but they did a, Joanne had a dream sequence and Six was in it. Did you see someone uh, animated it? I saw the photo, yeah, I saw the animation. Uh. <laughs> so fucking great, I was <laughs> dying. Like, you know me, I'm like a, like a proud dad. I'm like, Six is famous now. <laughs> She's, uh, you, you found her the same way I found my cat, where basically outside a couple of days old. Let me, let me correct one thing in that sense. She found me the same way your cat found you. That's I right. I sound crazy, but that's what they do. That's what they fucking do. They fucking find us. And I tell that story in my act. It's like, it's like I'm like, I don't have time for a cat. I put her back in the box with all the other ones. And the guy walks by me, and he just says, are you sure you don't want one? And she's in the back. And I know I'm crazy, but she's looking at me like, no, no, dummy. Uh, you're not doing me a favor. <laughs> you are a disaster. You need to get me the fuck out of this box so you have something that grounds your fucked up life. And I'm telling you. A day doesn't go by where I don't walk her and I say, thank God for this cat. She's just so, she's insane, like every woman in my life, but she's the best thing ever. Because you've had, you've had cats before. What was, uh, there was the one cat you had, was that with you and your ex? Yeah, uh, the orange one, Tristan. Tristan, Tristan yeah. Bear, Misty Bear, as I like to say. Was, and, uh, was that with the ex or did it uh, old age or whatever? Was, sorry, I'm just getting an asterisk. Oh. No, no, yeah, that cat had a good life. She had a heart, he, he, I've always had male cats as my first girl. He had a heart rhythm forever, and then he passed away at like 14. But that cat, that cat's another one. Like I'm, I've always, I grew up on a farm, so I always had outdoor animals, dogs and cats, you know. But, but uh, that last one, Tristan, was the first one that I ever treated. That I ever treated, of course. Now, hold on one sec. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. First FedEx now. But because, you know, you learn to treat animals living up. They're all outdoor. And the cat I had when I moved to New York, Babbitt, this black, totally mellow cat, you know, that was like just a buddy of mine more than my kid. So it, she was, he was outside. I'd go away for like a week at a time, just leave the window open and food out. And he, I'd come back and be like, hey, buddy. But Tristan and now this one, I'm, I'm nuts. Like I just fucking, I can't go away more than a week and a half without missing this cat. I'm like insane. You're the crazy crazy cat guy now but i love it though because you you can go out of town for a couple of days you don't have to worry about too much and they're there they come back they do whatever they need to do they yeah. just they sleep they look out the window that's about yeah, it like it, i i couldn't get to that point of having a dog again we it, it's too much because you love do people like it's you know whenever someone's like oh why do you have a cat why do you have a dog i'm like because i love dogs and it wouldn't be fair to the dog that's exactly it people people that don't get that i'm like you're just trying to do this macho, it literally is, 80s macho bullshit. Real men have dogs. Well, yeah, yeah. No, guys with apartments have dogs. Excuse me, guys with houses and stable jobs have dogs. I, yeah. I go away for a month at a time, and I would not do that to a dog, you know? Yeah, you got to take it out. Can't it? My, my one ex, the reason she got a dog is because she was fucking so many guys at night. 
that she needed a reason to go home to tell them, no, 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 I can't stay out and keep drinking and suck your dick. I need to get home to let my dog out. <laughs> you recording this? Yeah. Thank God. <laughs> that was the, the, and, and that's fantastic. And it's the the worst part about it is she has the dog, and I didn't know anything about this until we started dating. Right, and right, right. she tells me about this well almost a year into us dating. Oh, you know why I got the puggle, right? And she tells me, and it was the night we went to a there was like a rib cook off. Right. And it was in a town where she used to live. So she's hugging all these guys and goes, Oh, it's a, it's so and so. Oh my god, I haven't seen you in such a long time. Oh, give me a big hug. Hugging all these guys that she fucked at one time. And then she goes, Hey, you know, oh my God! Look, it's Jimmy. I can't believe how much you lost, how much weight you lost. Jimmy used to be on uh, cocaine. Remember that guy I told you about who knocked me up and I had to get an abortion? Yeah, uh, the reason I, I got an abortion is because uh, he was such a cocaine addict and I didn't want the baby, so I, I did that. But he lost so much weight now. I'm like, well, then why don't you go fuck him again? He looks great. <laughs> this girl's awesome. Uh, it's a shame it didn't work out for you two. Sounds like a real fun gal. Yeah, she's the she's the one that when she found out that I started dating Leah, that right. uh, she met a guy one night. Um, they got engaged three months later and married the next year at a comedy club. They they proposed at a comedy club because that's the most that's romantic place ever. That's fantastic. I mean, it's but here's the thing about the way I I think you're talking about about I talk about how, how I talk about all women like that. Yeah, it, why? I love women that are, and I don't want to say whores because it has a bad connotation, <laughs> but are whores and they own it. They're like, hey, yeah, because we guys have all gone through that. Look, I'm just fucking everyone. She got through it. She's like, all right, this is the guy. It's like she, I'm guessing they're still married. I really am. If you, I don't even know, but I, I have a feeling she's like, all right, I'm done being a whore. Now I'll be a fucking wife. Yeah. And she, she, it was funny because, um, or am I wrong again? No. Add that to my loss is this fucking streak of shit. Come on. She was a, uh, she got to a point where um, they were married, and I was still living in our old condo. And I was right. moving out, and I was downsizing. I, I was staying in a studio apartment for a little bit. And uh, I said, hey, uh, you still have a dresser, and you still have a couple of things you need to pick up. And she said, uh, can I make it Wednesday instead of Monday? I found out my husband has been drinking. He's been hiding it, and I'm finding bottles of whiskey and vodka. <laughs> Nice. And I'm like, see, do you understand that you're causing this? You're the one who's causing the drinking. You're the one who's causing all this horse shit. She's yeah. the enabler. She's, she's, her aura is that strong that she can do that. I love it. Yeah, that's why I... Uh, I'll ask you this, though, because you've... <coughs> you make it seem like you're kind of like this ladies' man, but you've been a guy who's been in relationships, in long-term relationships. You've been engaged be a, You've been engaged twice, right? Yeah, but neither one was real. I, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. It was real, but it's like I've never both, – both engagements were literally the, the guy who's a comic and is just in a relationship, and then all of a sudden he's been in it so long because he was too lazy to get out of it. The girl's like, hey, we're getting married, right? So you just buy him a ring, but it's not the right kind of engagement, and it just peters out. But yeah, I was twice, but n never for the right reasons. You Who was? I mean? You gotta tell the story because uh, I, I don't know how much you've told it on In Hot Water or any other podcast. But the Jim Florentine t told me his favorite story is you at the airport. Tell that story. Yeah. Jim, the Jim Florentine story, and let me tell you, 
I, I almost hope the people listening have heard Jim tell it first because Jim tells <laughs> and every time he tells the story, he changes the location, what I showed up with. But and, and I stand by this story, and I'm, it, this is one of the reasons I'm sitting here. Yeah, quit bragging. And someday you want to be sitting here, a 51 year old man living alone with a cat and an Eames chair, a very skittish Eames chair. You're by but, white. Uh, you're at least by White Castle, though. I am. Oh, which is which I haven't <laughs> been doing as much as I'm sober because you can't get white. You can't get White Castle sober. And you can't get White Castle delivery. And you can't get White Castle drive through in my opinion. The only way to get White Castle is you're drunk, you're walking home, or you're getting an Uber home, and you're like, stop here, and you go in and get it. People are like, why don't you eat it now? I'm like, because if you order White Castle to your house, you're sitting there like, what? Like, it doesn't dawn on you that White Castle was a mistake. And I'll get to the gym story in a sec. It doesn't dawn on you that White Castle was a mistake until you're halfway through the sack of burgers. You yes. know what I mean? If you order White Castle, by the time it gets to you 20 minutes later, you're like, you don't even, you can't even enjoy it. You're like, what the fuck am I doing? You know, but when you're halfway through, you're like, what the fuck am I doing? Fuck it, I'll finish. All right. But this is the reason I'm like this, I honestly believe. So I, the, the pre-story is, long story short, I was uh, working, I went to college. I, I graduated with a business degree from University of Delaware, got a job bartending, uh, waiting on tables and bartending at a Bennigan's, quit bragging. Met this girl, Rita, great girl. We're still friends. I talked to her the other day. Uh, so we started dating. And then in that seven years I was working at a bank and starting doing stand-up, you know, we're dating. And I'm living in Delaware, and I'm slowly losing my mind. That's when I lost both my parents' cancer. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see the show today, when I'm, this week, when I'm like, I buried four people with cancer. And Garrett's like, you must be exhausted. I'm like, oh, <laughs> he's so... This show is so, it's the four of us now. It's officially one of us between me, Aaron, Garrett, and Steve. There's always something bizarre about to be said. Uh, so so now we're seven years in, and I'm starting to do a comedy, realizing I, you know, when you're 27, 28, that's when you figure it out. So I, I, I start getting fucking, you know, panic attacks, because I'm like, what am I doing with my life? And about six years in, it was that one of those engagements where, like, we're getting engaged. She literally, we drove to a fucking uh, a, a, a store you know, a fucking little boutique. She saw a ring, and I bought it and handed it to her. That's so romantic. <clears throat> so you see how well this is going to uh, So long story short, we, we end up breaking up. And now we get to the point. So we end up breaking up, and, and uh, she's like, and, I'm, and then I'm like a panicking little cunt. I'm trying to get back with her. Not because I don't want to fucking get back to her, and I love her, but in my mind, that because I just don't want to be alone. So you need to know that for this story. Okay, so... Finally, she's like, look, I'm done. I'm over. I'm moving to Spain, staying with family I have in Spain. <laughs> and uh, and it's in, it's in, a, in a Galicia, like with her family. But she has a flight into Madrid. Into Madrid, Jim Florentine, not Mexico City, not Niagara Falls, not Tijuana. Every time it's a different I, I've heard Italy. I've heard like Italy, Na Naples, yeah. Italy. <laughs> and every time it's different and every time it's funnier when he tells it. But... I had three goals when I was flying out there. I wanted to meet her at the airport because a year earlier, when she was in Paris visiting friends, uh, I didn't pick her up at the airport because I was just a piece of self-absorbed shit by then. So I'm like, I'm going to meet her at the airport. I'm going to backpack through Europe, and I'm going to go to Venice, my mother's favorite city, and be there a year to the day that she passed away. That was the plan. But the main part of the plan was to show up at the airport and beat her and surprise her at an airport in Madrid. And I showed up with fucking flowers go orange. I showed up with fucking flowers and said, look, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, you know, for what happened, you know, have a great trip or whatever. 
But Jim always says I showed up with fucking uh, a ring of flowers and wanted her to marry me again. And and I knew she wasn't. And people are like, what if she took it back? I'm like, I can't even answer it. Now I'm like a politician. I can't even answer that question because I knew she wasn't going to take me back. And to prove she wasn't going to take me back, I have tickets. Uh, I, I, I fucking already have fucking reservations all over the country to meet my fa- Italy and I'm meeting my family. But that was the moment where it's like, there, I'm done. That was how I kind of put it behind me. I didn't realize it then. And it sounds a lot deeper than it was. But when I got back from Italy, when I backpacked, I, I went over all Europe. I was gone for a month and I flew back. I'll never forget because I had a show at some fucking gig in North Jersey. And you know who was on the show? Jim Florin. Mm-hmm. And I fucking land. He's like, where the fuck have you been? I'm like, I just backpacked through Europe. And you know, Jamie's first question, did you get laid? And I'm like, it wasn't about that. He's like, you're gay. <laughs> You're gay. And then he just said, well, what did you do? And I told him that story. He's like, and you can imagine his story. He's like, you're gay. <laughs> so great. <laughs> so he was the first one that I saw afterwards. And I told him that story. And to this day, he tells it. And it's never not hilarious. And it's it's always, ah, so he drives to fucking Niagara Falls. He takes a bus to Tijuana. No, Jim. But it's it's so, and in hindsight, I, it's insane what I did. But I'm glad I did it. But it's just so funny when Jim tells the story. So now, what year? What year are we talking? Because you've been doing comedy for what? Since what? Ninety nine, or was it before that? When people ask me, I always say I moved up to New York in two thousand and one because that's that's when you can say you really fucking started. You know, that, before that, I was in. I first got on stage so long ago. I'm going to say ninety four or ninety five was probably the first time I got on stage. But that's in Wilmington, Delaware, basically Philly. And if you get on stage more than fucking twice a month you know, you think you're kicking ass, you know, and you're not. And this is the thing I, I also always say, and I'm glad I realized this. I used to fucking, after I'd been doing it like three years, by 1999, 2000, I'm a big star in Wilmington, Delaware, T-Man. I'm a big star. I'm literally uh, bartending, hosting my own comedy night, you know, doing road gigs. But the difference between living in, in Philly or, you know, like Delaware or Philly is, and I'm glad I felt this way. It's like, if you don't, get in your car, you know, and to this day, I still say to comedians that are living in, you know, that, that fucking uh, came here from Maine or, or, or the Midwest, I'm like, that took balls to do what you did. They're like, well, you did the same thing. I'm like, no, all I had to do was put everything I own and a cat inside a VW Golf, drive an hour and a half up the turnpike and sleep on a couch till I found a place. And that's why it's like when you're living in, in Philly, you're like, if you're not moving up here, you're full of shit. So 2001, I did exactly that. I packed up everything, moved up here, and I'm like, I'll live up here and do stand-up until the phrase I always use is until the other shoe falls, and it never fell. You know, and I, I just got more and more into, uh, th- th- this is what I say. So 2001 is when I first fucking started. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm so disoriented. I keep losing everything. Um, I've got to find my lighter. 2001 is when I first fucking started you know, moving up here. And it was like, literally, I just started doing the stand-up. And when you move up here, you're like, look, I'm going to do the stand-up. Walk with me while I find a life. Yeah, go for it. Do the- until, I always say, until the other shoe falls, until I can't do it anymore. So when you move up here, you're like, all right, well, this is what I have to do as a comedian. Uh, you know where my phone, my lighter is so light under my, right under my phone. Your default speaker, did I break? Can you still hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. You're good. Okay, I just got some weird thing. Yeah, okay. What, I don't know what I broke, but good. All right. Undivided attention again. And I always say this, and let me tell you something, and I say this on the show all the time. I don't know how I got here. I mean, I know I got here just doing whatever the fuck I want.
But you, if you watch In Hot Water, and I hope to God you guys do, and if you guys are listening to this podcast, please subscribe. Uh, it took me forever to realize, because uh, how old are you? You're in your 30s, right, Thir- kiddo? 32, yeah. So young. Whole life ahead of you. <laughs> but I, 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 is it harder or easier for you to wrap your brain around this? It's like the Internet's free. I'm not paying for anything on the Internet. And suddenly you have to realize, no, no, this is, this is so worth the $9 a month, the $5, the whatever, to, to get all the shows you get on Compound Media. And I say this on the show all the time. You know this, Tom. It's like I feel like I'm getting away with something. Like I can't believe the life I have that I fucking fell ass backwards into or maybe I did it exactly how I wanted to. But this ties back into me getting into comedy. So after doing stand-up, when you get up to Manhattan, you're like, all right, here's my plan. I'm going to work on my set. I'm going to get past it some clubs. I'm going to fucking get a festival. I'm going to get a late night spot and I'm going to get a sitcom. That was the mentality. Like when I. At the time. At the time. Yeah. Yeah. And it changes so much every 10 years, but you don't realize it. But I I could never fucking get a set that I would send to a festival or something because I always. Because I started with Bob Levy in bars. Well, Bob Levy was before me, but Bob Levy helped me get my start. So I'm doing a lot of bars and stuff in fucking, you know, Philly. So I always work the crowd and I always fucking am darker. And, and when you're doing a bar in Philly, you have to say fuck. So I've always been like this and I like who I I like me. So how many, by the way, how many people did Bob Levy get their start to? I mean, all of them. Because name, name, name me. a brilliant comic and, 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 and I, let, let's play a game. Name 10 brilliant comics that you know from our show and, and you know, from Compound Media or whatever. And, and I'll tell you if it's Bob Levy. I bet more than half. Go on. Barry Ribs? <laughs> no. No. Okay. Well, because, I, I mean, I think about I, it like, because I, I just, uh, Florentine was here last weekend, and uh, I, I did a podcast with him, and I was talking to him for a while. And, I mean, one of the reasons why. He's such, he's such an asshole in real life. He's not one of the nicest guys in the world. No, he? no. He's such a piece. You, you have to know how to deal with, well, it's like, kind of like Voss. If you no, know how to deal dude. with somebody, he's a great dude in real life. Well, know? no, no, that's that's the thing is that you have to know how to deal with them, or they can be an asshole, just like Rich Voss is. Rich Voss, if you know what to talk to him about, and you know it's not going to be just all about comedy and how your set was, then he doesn't want to hear it. But if you know how to talk, whether it's about golf or something, but yeah, yeah uh, Florentine or uh, Florentine was saying that Levy was such a drunk. Him and Levy and Otto and George were such drunks that yeah. everybody had to drive them around. And that's yeah. how they were like, well, I got these kids opening for me because they had shit-faced afterward. And yeah. so Norton and Florentine would drive him. So basically, Levy got them their start. He helped you get your start. And Levy was the one who got me into doing comedy, too. So that's, He's just a genuinely good dude. And when I first started doing this... Is, this and he's, is, com- he's coming on tomorrow, by the way. Oh, I so. love him. <laughs> he, uh, when I first started doing stand-up in Wilmington, Delaware, quit bragging, uh, after doing it a couple months, I did a a bar called Poncho O'Hara's, which was an, a Mexican-Irish bar. You can't make that up. <laughs> and I've been doing it six months, and I get on stage, and he's the headliner. And he's like, how long you been doing it? And I go, like, six months. And he looks at me, he's like, it's not bad for six months. So, like, you know, I'm like, not bad. I'm great at this. And I suck, of course. But he's like, stick with it. If I, He's like, if, if I bump into you next time, maybe we'll start doing stuff. A year later, maybe not even, we're at the same bar. And he's like, dude, you know, he, I don't even remember what he said, but it was basically, he's like, start doing some gigs with me. And he took me. But let me tell you some names. Me, Jim Florentine, Jim Norton, Don Jameson. Uh, there's there's, there's a, a bunch of others, but, but uh, those are the ones. Those are the main ones. All of us got in under his wing. So anyway, this is my point about how I got into it. Uh, so after about two or three years of just doing my act, it's not like I said, you know what? 
it's not like I, I ever went back to my apartment and said, you know, fuck this. I'm saying what I want to say and the world will come to me. I literally said the same thing with desperation. I'm like, fuck this. I can't do it anyway. I'm just going to do my act and see what happens. And thank God the comedy, I'm sure every business to some extent, but comedy and music, I think, I think everyone but from, from me and you talking now to fucking Milton Berle 70 years ago talked to another comic and said, you know, it's changed so much in the past 10 years. And, and fortunately, after, you know, 10 years of doing it, and then I, and, and, and uh, around 2000, and, well, this will be easy to do. What is it? It's 2020, and this is my 14th season. So 2008, I start, excuse me, 2007, I start Gino's Picks. And I'm like, these are great. I'm just going to fucking do these. And after a couple, you know, after a year or two, I'll get a TV show. I never got a TV show. I got everything else from doing that just because it's fun. I do my act just because it's fun. I bump into Berg. He's like, let's do a podcast. It'll be fun. And suddenly, 2020, I'm sitting here, you know, one of the, I'm going to say it, the best show on the network, the most popular show on the network, not called the Anthony Cunha Show, uh, fucking a syndicated sports sheet for writing for radio, you know, and my stand-up. And it's just because the industry fragmented so much that suddenly you don't need to fucking change your act for the mainstream. You just put your act and then the pockets find you and they do your advertising for you. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, hey, you got to watch my buddy, you know? And that's the beauty of, of something that obviously, I always say, if you, if you went back to 2001 and told me the ways I was getting paid in New York in 2020, first thing I'd say is like, I'm still here in 2020. Yeah, you're getting paid on a compound media network. What channel is that on? It's on the internet. What are you talking about? You're writing a syndicated sports sheet for terrestrial radio. What's terrestrial radio? It's just radio, but now that satellite started, they need fucking people to write for the untalented people that are stuck in satellite radio. And you're hosting a podcast. Uh, no, and, and you're, uh, you're still doing stand-up, and you're touring the country with your podcast in hot water. What's a podcast? It would be insane, but that's how much it's changed in the past 20 years. Well, it's you how know? much you have to change, because it's, it, what's interesting was, and you have to adapt. You can't be, because you probably saw this in the days of the late 90s, where you were seeing kind of that spillover from the 80s where guys were guys were comics and that's all they did maybe they do a morning radio spot but for the most sure. part they were comedians and i'm yeah. owning my act well it really was in the 2000s that uh, say whatever you want about him but dane cook really helped revitalize the business by saying you need to be your own publicist and you need to do something else besides doing stand-up so right. you need to have an outlet whether it is doing a radio show whether it is having a tv show whether it is you know, because full disclosure for people listening, I got a chance to meet Gino the first time right before your birthday, actually, in about two years ago. Yeah. And it was funny because I had seen you so many different times before in hot water, but you just don't put two and two together. It's just, oh, because you were on NFL Network. You were one yeah. of those guys on the top 10 special that would say, yeah. oh, Harold Carmichael. Oh, yeah. what a receiver he was. What a, what hands he had. And, yeah. and but you, of course, you were all nice and shaved and everything and uh, uh oh dude by the way in one of the actually look at this shirt the 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 last one i did this is the there's always money in the banana stand shirt the last one i did if you get a oh i gotta put a clip of that up i gotta do a picture because that was when i was drinking and stuff i looked so fucking puffy and fat and i'm like bursting out of this shirt i thought it looked good it looked terrible but yeah i, I don't know what why I'm changing that. So go on. So it's my birth. It's right around my birthday. We're, ha we're hanging out at Sullivan's. Uh, we didn't go to Sullivan's that day. Uh, I forgot why. Why didn't we go to... Oh, oh, I think Andrew Schultz was in town and you guys were doing something. And then it was like street cleaning day. You had to get home. Uh, oh, yeah. That happened a lot. But, uh, 
But that, the whole thing was I had seen you so many different times, and that's what was interesting was that I saw you from everything but your act. And that's what right. that's the thing in nowadays that a lot of comics that fell behind when the pandemic started, or I shouldn't say the pandemic, when the lockdown started, is that when that started up and they didn't have any gigs to do, they didn't know what to do. So they started some shitty podcasts. Hey, look, I'm, I'm doing a shitty podcast, but I do morning radio, too, so I had another outlet. But when the clubs closed, they're like, I, I don't know what else to do. i got to do something. Well, if you had been doing this the last few years when they said just start a podcast, do something, you don't know if what's going to – I don't know when this is going to take off. I mean, you're probably – I think you're about the 12th interview that I've had. So I've banked a lot of these, and I've put these together. I don't know in one year if this is going to turn into anything, if I'm still going to be doing it, what kind of content. Maybe I don't do any interviews a year from now. But you have to keep putting content out there. And you yeah. know you know who said evolves. that? It, it evolves is what you're saying, right? Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. You. And, well, and you know who said that? It, surprisingly enough, the, the wonderful Kevin Brennan. <laughs> who, who I love. Because he, because he's like he's like you gotta put stuff out there. You can't just sit sit around waiting for a gig or start a podcast and then after a couple of weeks you're like, eh, I'm gonna wait a little bit and then restart it. You say you just no matter what, even if it's shit, you still have to put something out there. Which yeah, kind of goes against the old conventional wisdom where you would want to put your best stuff out there and wait until you have your best stuff. Now it's just you gotta get you gotta put content out, and that's what you guys do four days a week on in hot water. And that's how it evolves. Sorry, I was getting a little more coffee from my Ann August coffee pot. I'm sure you've heard she's dead cancer. <laughs> but it is, and everything evolves. Like, like me and Berg, we we just oh, we. This is what we always I always say to him. We're talking about like the show. It's like you understand how lucky we are. Like I like you know me and you with sports. Like I love Colin Coward. I love his show for the simple fact that. It, it, it resonates with me. A lot of stuff, most of the stuff he says I agree with. A lot of shit that I don't, I fucking go the other way. But it's, but it's just easy for me, and I think it's really entertaining. He has to get in three hours earlier to do his show. I'm like, you realize we just show up, and the show is based on whatever the fuck one of us says three minutes before we start. This whole cookie boy bit that's going on right now <laughs> and really, really has gotten away from him. Uh, I mean that in the best way. It all started because I was asking a question. You know how I go on my rant about COVID. And, I, and it was like another infection rate bullshit number. I'm like, I'm like, what do you think the number is, Garrett? And I look in there, and, and Berg's not in there. So I'm like, what do you think the number is, Steve? Two and billion. I look in there, and Berg's walking in eating a cookie. He's eating a cookie. And I say, what do you think the number is, cookie boy? And he goes, cookie boy? And then it starts. And he, he comes in as a cookie, and he's just talking, hey, I'm cookie boy, everyone. And it's just amazing. Uh, just, and this, this is you know, based on the uh, you talking about, like, you just do it, and it evolves. And that's how our show is. It, we're just so lucky that I say this all the time, which what makes our show great. Uh, and, and, and shows, I should even, shouldn't even say just our show. It's the difference between a show like ours and a sitcom or Saturday Night Live now. Because there's nothing I'm worried about being canceled by. I, I, think I'm, I think I'm suspended on Twitter again as we speak. But you cannot create, and I say this on the show, and I say it over and over again because I'm, it sounds like I'm trying to teach people a lesson, but I'm just patting myself on the back because somebody said this to me years ago. And I, I know you, you've heard this, Tone. I know you've heard this. I say, if you don't go within, you go without. And some, I don't say that, but someone told me that. And that's the creative process now. If you don't create from within, if you're not saying, this is what I believe, I'm putting it out there, and it'll find the people it needs to feed. If you do the opposite, be like, this is what I need to do to get on Saturday Night Live. This is what I need to do to get on Jimmy Kimmel. So you back into it like, all right, so here's the stuff they like talking about, but I can't say this. And by the time you put it in your brain, it's not you at all. 
you went without there. And now you look at the world right now and fucking, oh, the, the kids that fucking kowtowed to sit at the comedy cellar table, fucking that table's not even open now. People are sitting outside locked out of that place. The people that fucking, you know, you know, betrayed their fucking soul to fucking say what needs, what, what is allowed to be said on network TV. Kimmel's not taking new people right now. You know what I mean? Late night is a fucking wasteland it's dead. of fucking boringness. But when we're doing a show, like, for it to be, and I'll say the gay word, genuinely organic, there's no little switch in my head that's like, can I say that? By the time anyone would say, could I say that, it's out there. By the time I'm calling Kate Willett a fucking materialistic, fucking self-indulgent cunt, by the fifth time, I'm like, oh, that sounded great, all five times. And our show would not be as good if any of the four of us, me, Aaron, Garrett, Steve, were like, I wonder if I can say this. No one's ever done that, you know? Berg still does sometimes because he because he wants to believe he still is he still has a shot at mainstream comedy, but I'll make sure that doesn't happen. Well, that's th that changed. You know, it's funny. The one time I came in studio, and this is uh, right around the time. Uh, By the way, what do you got going? I'm doing a Rocky Patel decade. What I've, do you got going? I've got a Dominican. I got this in Key West for my honeymoon. Um, it's a Key Lime cigar. And Tell I have. Is it, does it taste like Key Lime? A little bit. It has a little, oh, little taste. I can't do that. It's. Well, it's it's just a hint. It's not overpowering, but it's enough where you put your lips on and you go, okay. And then after that, it's a just a Dominican cigar. Oh, there you go. It's uh, uh, see, I can't do flavored cigars or coffee. It's got to be just fucking bitter, fucking bitter Carson. And and they say coffee, black coffee fights cancer. So I just let these two battle it out every day. Uh, we don't say black coffee anymore, Chino. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, what's it called? Coon coffee. There you go. So, uh, uh, basketball, you basketball coffee, right? Basketball American <laughs> coffee. Black coffee matters. Oh, good lord. The, uh, you know, so it was interesting with, um, with you and Berg, because when I was in the studio, you guys were actually doing actual reads. Not Rapinda brand reads, but actual yeah. reads. And I got us fucked by that. You, you, dropped, you dropped a certain word. Uh, on the show, and Aaron's like, "No, go over there." So you sat on the couch, and you called him. You called him Opie, and yeah. uh, <laughs> now we. And the the gag is now everyone calls me Opie, and we love it. It's like because the real fans get it. There is no Opie on the show, but whenever someone does something wrong, it's just like, "Okay, Opie." And the reason but. we say that is, and I, I've said this before. I've said it to a couple of people, and I've been in radio now almost fourteen years. I've worked with so many Opies, I can't even count. Yeah. And, and, and that's, I don't even want you know to say it's I, a pejorative. You know what I call them, and I'm sorry I keep interrupting, it is your show. Uh, I call them Bruno Kirby's, the guy from yep. Good Morning Vietnam. Mm -hmm. They're the guys that, and I want to hear this story, but, but they're the guys, to put it in simple, uh, to put it for the layman out there, they're the guys that are so insecure, and they hate the guys that are genuinely funny, and they look at them like they jumped the line, a buddy of mine, uh, Bill Mosh Brannick, Midwest Comics, said that once, I'll never forget. They look at us like we jumped the line and we're sorry. But they think on a scale of 1 to 10, their comedy is a, is a 9. And they are so insecure, they, they make sure you're not funnier than them. So in their mind, they hold you down to an 8. But really, what they are, are they're a comedy 1 at best. And they're just fucking undercutting everything you say that's funny and ruining their own show. Yeah. And that's what a Bruno Kirby is. That's what an Opie is. That's what Artie Lang was when he was fucking an asshole on heroin on the show versus how great he was when the Artie Lang podcast was great. Anyway, so you've worked with so many Opies. I want to hear some the, of this story. So the, the reason I would say an Opie is that these are people who are right out of the 80s. For whatever yeah. reason, everybody in the 80s had to have that voice a little bit, sound a little yeah. bit like this. So it was like 70s, 80s. Well, then the, 
the children, I guess, the radio children of the of those 70s, 80s jocks, by the 80s and 90s, all thought they were stand-up comics. So right. somebody like Opie, who I'm sure if you got in a room with him 25, 30 years ago, would actually be kind of funny, be amusing, a good guy to drink with, maybe tell a couple of jokes when you guys are having a, uh, some whiskey or a couple of cigars. Yeah. But they only go so far with their humor. And the problem with Opie is that Anthony got so talented. He was always talented, but he got so good at radio so quick. And then they right. bring Jim Norton on that their talent surpassed Opie by miles. And Opie's mm -hmm. down here just as a board op. And the problem is that in a lot of regular radio, the people that you, that you do your sports sheet for, uh, that they basically steal, steal your jokes. Because I know that's what they do is they read the sheet yeah. and they say, all right, uh, Jennifer Aniston, more like doesn't have a Maniston. <laughs> you know. Hold on, I'm writing that. I'm going to do the crusty. <laughs> oh, that's gone in the act. <laughs> that's actually a Family Guy reference there. Oh, but but they would say family, but you forgot to say Family Guy comma Jennifer Aniston Family Family Guy comma Jennifer Aniston comma Quagmire, uh, but they they go so far with their humor because it's a right. ceiling and that's why I I was out of radio for a little bit because no one wanted to hire me because I would piss people off on Twitter and right. uh, be a little caustic at the workplace. Eventually, I did get hired and I've somehow kept my job for the last five and a half years in Akron, but I had to in that time. Uh, do some stand-up, which is where I, I, I've been trying to get you and Berg over at the funny stop down the street from me, uh, Florentine. Uh, Berg's, uh, well, because the, the owner of the funny stop actually also owns a cigar shop. Oh, so, really? So we go over there, like, on Saturday, like Kevin Farley, we were hanging out with him a couple of weeks ago, smoking cigars. and He works a lot with our boy, Kev, my buddy Kevin Dombrowski. I'm sure you're familiar with him. Him, he Farley loves working with him. Like he's always telling me Farley stories. I love it. Yeah. So, it, but but the problem is in a lot of comedy, it, like comedy clubs, that they still feel that radio has that cachet. They don't anymore. Yeah. And that's what it was. So that was what was bothersome to somebody like Rogan for a long time. Or when, um, or I'll even go back in the days when Artie joined Howard Stern, where they would say, "Wait a second, why, why would you go from a, a TV show and doing movies to doing radio?" And he said, you don't understand how big this show is. And it's yeah. like that with podcasting, and it's like that in the medium nowadays, where why would you want to center your act nowadays around trying to get on Jimmy Kimmel and Colbert's show, when right. oh, that, which is comedies and trends, which is why all these comics like UFC, because they want to get on Rogan someday. Yeah, and I, I, speaking, let's, let's tie it all in a cute little bow. Artie Lang has the best joke about UFC ever, okay? And he's like, I can't get into UFC. He's like, I grew up watching boxing. He's like, then you got these guys in their underwear, no shoes. They, they go into the ring. What are you doing? He's like, to me, UFC looks like two gay guys are having sex. And two minutes in, the guy on the bottom realizes he's not gay anymore. <laughs> that, that, it's so perfectly, it's brilliant. It's hysterical. And it's spot on accurate. But that's the thing. Let me tell you something about Artie. In, in case anyone took from that last thing I said that I have any, I love Artie Lang. And, and he fucking... He, he's unlike all the Artie Lang I love and it's why I hate Stuttering John because Stuttering John is one of those people he's so dumb that he that he looks at fucking Howard Stern like Howard Stern's some struggling DJ that that needed a really brilliant comedian fucking to be on the show and save his show and that's what John thinks he was he doesn't realize he was a fucking butt of the joke but Artie and I thought of it when you said it because he used to say that all the time when he was burning himself out and and uh, he's and and uh, fucking it was such a compliment. He paid 
to fucking Howard when, when Howard's like, well, you know what? If you burn yourself out, why don't you just quit the show and just tour? And he laughed because it was so how naive in his, in his own way Howard Stern was. And it was a compliment to him. He's like, it's like I, I don't think you understand why I'm selling out stadiums. No. He's like, it's like, it's this show is why I'm selling out stadiums. And that, those days are gone, you know? Like, there's no, like maybe Rogan, like get, but it'll never be like Stern was. And Stern's dead to me now. He's just become this fucking old crotchety old fucking man that's that's pandering for this pandemic, which again is bullshit, which is just a flu with a better publicist. It's it's fucking I watched the debate last night and look, I I, I don't know when I became but but the, the fact that fucking Trump said we have to learn to live with this and fucking and, and fucking Biden fucking plays that fear card. People are learning to die with it. You faggot. You absolute <laughs> faggot. And let me explain this to your fans again. Because I've said this before, I'll say it again. And Wait, I have fans? <laughs> yes, yes, you have fans. With This guy and my cat, Six. Oh, she fell asleep while you were talking. <laughs> but my point is, like, when I use the word faggot, it's a great word. Words are great. And I'm like, I have tons of gay friends. They're wonderful people. I said that once, and Berg's like, name two gay friends. I can only name one. But I love gay people. I, they should marry, have kids, whatever. But I don't know if you know this, but in the old days, the Catholic Church hates women. It hates gays in that order. And so it just, it said Mary Magdalene was a whore, and it said God made gay people wrong. And now we know that's not true, but, but the word faggot needs to stick around, because if you believe that we should shut down 100% of the economy to save 0.04% of elderly fat people, well, then you were born wrong, and you're a faggot. That's my point. <laughs> it's okay? like you're reading my face. That's my, my point. I don't care if you're sucking a dick, but if you're sucking a dick while you're saying, I'm scared of COVID, you are a faggot, okay? Okay, but if you're sucking a dick and never wore a mask in your life, I will fucking drink with you, you handsome son of a bitch. <laughs> well, you know, you know, it's funny you're mentioning that because I wanted to get in your stage persona because you're, what you're doing right now is your act, in a way. But not saying you're doing your act like you're on Bob and Tom where like, all right, well, let's get the old old favorites here. Yeah, boy. Like, like I got an airplane show. Yes. So here, Gene, I hear you like faggots. <laughs> funny you should ask, Byron. So, so John Lovitz, I hear you're getting older. That's the other Artie Langism. <laughs> yeah. What did uh, uh, and I'm sure you love him too. Norm Macdonald said he was like, it's like he was like I was on Comedy Unleashed once. I've never been so leashed. <laughs> so, so uh, what did he say? So Norm, I hear you uh, hate depth. <laughs> Byron, it, uh, it was <clears throat> well because when you when you get into like talking about your act because. It doesn't change much, but it changes, if I can describe that. Meaning, it's, it's like you kind of have a rubric of where you're going. Yeah. And you're, you basically, you rail on political correctness, and you rail on how saying something like faggot is, not, is a term of endearment, and it's not a yeah. term of hate, and you do, you do the Anne Frank jokes, and you do all that and stuff, but you have a rubric of where you want to go. Now, have, do you, <clears throat> was that something you've cultivated for a long time or did you go on something where you put this act together and just said this is working i'm going to keep going and then i just kind of add to it because that's kind of an old school mentality where somebody like seinfeld Thank if you. you saw seinfeld 10 years ago and you saw him today it's the same act it's just yeah. the jokes might be slightly more polished whereas everybody during the louis days of the last 15 years i have to put a new hour out every year well, some can do it, but not everybody right. can put out a new hour every year. Norton tried to do it. Uh, Bill Burr's done that. And I think uh, Burr's some the can... best at it right now. I, I think Burr, and he does every other year, I believe he said, and he know, and it's always good. I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, no, it's good. It's just what's interesting is you have kind of that old school mentality of here's my act, 
and here's where I'm going to go. Like, you kind of know where you're going with it, and it's it's not always going to work because no. an audience, depending on, I mean, you could be in a comedy club of all your fans because I, I saw it in two ways. I saw you do Hilarities in Cleveland, and then I saw you do the White Plains Comedy Club with the comedians of the compound. Oh, what a crusher set, but that's a home game. So, well, that, that, exactly. So that's what ends up happening is that's where comedy is that mind fuck where it depends on the audience that you're doing that with. So you can be at hilarities where people don't, you're not necessarily a household name and they may paper the room or something and you're doing your Anne Frank jokes and you're doing the masturbation or whatever. And then there will, people will be like, ah, this guy is like, he's a racist, he's a this and that and everything. But then you do it at White Plains Comedy Club and I'm watching Kumia falling over in his chair laughing By the way, about everything. I'm stopping you right now. Is this a, and I want to hear fall over and share. Is it, don't, don't touch that. Is this like a video podcast? No, or just audio? no, just audio. I was going to tell people you have to put this out on YouTube because I want people to drink every time the flag blows in your face. Oh yeah. I want this to be a drinking game. I, I, I'm, I'm taking full advantage of this because it's 75 degrees and it's going to be like 40 you in about three hours. You have to put the video on because that's a fun drink game. But anyway, I interrupted you mid compliment. So Kumi is falling out of his chair laughing. Please go because on. Because you have that, you have that home game. And that's, what's interesting about doing stand up for as long as you have, because if I did the same jokes at, you know, at, my home club and people are laughing, but then I do a, a one nighter somewhere and it's not going to work. Right. What am I going to do? And so I got to keep on going. So you're you take it in stride and you say, no, this is just this is what I do. You know, maybe maybe you were drinking a little bit too much. Maybe the jokes didn't weren't as punchy. But that's right. what's interesting about comedy is that it there's so many Great. different variables. Yep. Wait, hang on. Let me get my got my high lie from Florida. Oh man, I, I I'm not drinking right now, John. But yeah, but this the reason my act is like that. How it's I'll, I'll do the Zen thing and then the dick joke. I don't think anyone genuinely changes. They just become strong enough to be the person they always wanted to be. And now more than ever, I'm realizing like I'm not a racist. I like people used to say to me. I, I mean, not even realizing. I know I never was, but now I don't even have a qualm about it. And you see it on stage because like. People used to always say to me, wow, Gino's always on. And I'm like, I'm not always on. <laughs> I've always been like this. As, you've seen the show. There are days the show starts out and fucking Garrett Steven Berger, like, Jesus Christ. And they're not mad at me, but they're almost like, would you calm down? Because I'm like my fucking mother. She used to go to school. She was a teacher. She'd walk, she'd walk out the door and come in the door singing. She loved her job so much. And I love what I'm doing. And I love who I am on and off stage. I've always loved people. So I've always been a ball buster, but it's an, it's a, to quote, uh, to quote Artie Lang, Gino's so charming, he gets away with it. But I'm also realizing as the pandemic goes on, like with this white guilt and everything, it's amazing. I don't have any. And I mean, look at me, look at me, look at me versus you. Like I've never considered myself white and it never became more clear to me than a couple weeks ago. I'm watching your girl, not your girl. Are you, you are you a Buckeyes guy? Yeah, my my wife is, but okay. I, I, I tolerate them because I'm in the state. <laughs> well, the Ohio State Buckeyes, they had their dean, some woman, come out, and she basically did that thing where she apologized for white guilt. And let me tell you something. She was whiter than this fucking cow. Whiter than my shirt, yeah. Yeah, she was, and, 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 you, and then it dawned on me. Okay, let me explain something about my dad, and I've said this on the show. My parents died of cancer, okay? And, and I mean it. My father died from lung cancer because he was the son of an immigrant farmer in South Jersey, Italy, which is called Vineland. It's called Vineland because the soil is so rich, but because back then, everyone was so fucking whatever. They, all the uh, uptight white people said, well, just put all the Italians here. 
and the and they're like and and the Italians will grow grapes for wine and stomp because that's what they do and we'll call it Vineland. And I'm sure the Italians were like, you know, we can grow anything. We can the soil's so rich we can grow tomatoes, which are still the best anyway. You can grow eggplant, you can grow all the hot peppers. Yeah, yeah, whatever, Guinea, it's fine. And and again, he's working with pesticides that they're not testing because people aren't using them. Italians are using them. And this white woman fucking was so God damn it! <laughs> We took a short Ask me break. how many UPS deliveries I've gotten in the past week. Those <laughs> two. All right, now listen. This woman is so white that you... That's what white guilt is. When you can see a woman is so white, you can trace her roots back to the Mayflower, back to slaves. And she was the one <laughs> whose family throughout entirety, the second someone new got off the boat, fuck the Irish, fuck the Italian, fuck the Jews. They were those people. You know what I mean? Fuck the blacks. And that's why they have the guilt. Now my TV was on pause and it's playing music. And that's where the white guilt you cannot convince me doesn't come from that we've never had because we've been shit on, you know? And we have a family upbringing where it's like, we're all in this together. But these people, these incredibly want us all to feel bad for them and we can't because it's like, now they're coming for you guys, not for us. And I know that. So when I'm on stage making fun of every race and religion, I'm like, do you really think this is the hill I'm gonna die on? I'm like, you know what, I need to bring back the Holocaust you know what a good place to find people would be? A comedy club at 11 p.m. at night. <laughs> that, and, and, the people, and, and the people that get offended, I can't help that. Like, I, I've always said this. I, my act is like a fucking punch in the face. I put it right in your face, and you decide what you want to do. And the people that laugh, it is so fucking freeing and, and, and relieving. And the people, the few that don't, and, I, like, I've always said, if, if fucking everyone likes what you're doing, you're not doing it right. Well, everyone says that, you know? I want people to say that that really offend. I don't want a middle ground with me. I want fucking people to say that guy's great or that guy's not for me. If if everyone's like, hey, I'm on the fence about Gino, I'm not gonna be like, what can I do to sway these people? How can I win these? I don't give a fuck. You wanted to you be know? the guy at the end of the show where they either say, yeah, that guy, that guy in the middle, the guy with the the glasses and wearing the uh, the Snoopy T-shirt, uh, I yeah. didn't like him, or that guy was hilarious. You, yeah. you, because you can't be mediocre in this business. And I don't yeah. know, there's so many fucking mediocre beta male comics. And, and the thing is, I started getting into comedy. I, I've been doing it now only seven years. So I'm a, I'm a baby in the business. Sure. And I don't even want to call it the business. But when I started was during this white privilege apologizing for everything. So yeah. my, I, I remember I did a hipster room. I did a one-nighter hipster, hipster room. Right. And the problem was, it was too close to Christmas. So everybody's going to see their racist families. So, yeah. so they've got the, they got the full beards, and they got the plaid and everything. And they go up there, and they got the microphone going, So uh, I wanna, I'm white, and I apologize. This was right after the Michael Brown and the Tamir Rice stuff that was happening. They're like, so I'm yeah. white, and I apologize for me being white. And I'm like, what am I supposed to do, start snapping? Like we're at a beatnik club in the in Greenwich Village. What the fuck's right. going on here? So it, it it was it bothered me that that's when I got into the business because drink. I want yeah, exactly drink, drink that this damn flag here. The uh, it's the best. I know it's 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 see it's this Browns flag that I have here that we have. We uh, have to talk about them eventually. Oh yeah, my charges, but go on. But it, it was just, I got into it at the wrong time because I wanted you, to get... You, you, it's too low. Your camera's too low. It's not... You, you fucked up the game. I, 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 wanted, 
I wanted to get in when I when I was 18, and it just they weren't letting people into clubs when they were 18. So I'm like, oh fuck, what am I gonna do? So right. I ended up getting into it because it was it was it was a breakup. It was now, well, is that why you got into doing stand up? Was it because your parents died and everything? It was, was that the like, opposite? And this is what I say about comedy. It's like real comedian. Like shout out to Anthony Cumia. You said it perfectly. We were hanging out at comedians of the compound in AC. We were hoping you were gonna swing by the AC comedians of the compound. I. I well, yeah, it was, uh, but I had to drive about seven hours. But I know. Uh, <laughs> but he said it perfectly, and we're busting, stuttering John's balls. He's like, it must drive you comedians insane that, like, actors and rich people now, like, they look at comedy like a lifeboat on the Titanic. You know, if anything ever, if it, always, if it ever bottoms out, I can always just get on one of these. And he's right. It's like Jeremy it's like, Piven. Yeah. <laughs> stuttering John. All these people drives me insane. But I also yeah. let it go because it's like, look, if you want to book a comedy club, if you want to fill a comedy club, uh, people are dumb. And who's going to fill that club? Gino Biscani and Tony Mazur? No, it's going to be fucking Piven and fucking stuttering. But um, the fact is comedy fucking chooses you. Like I always thought it was, and I want to hear how you did. I guarantee the same thing. I talk about comics about, I talk with comics about this all the time on the In Hot Water show. Uh, that, that was a smooth plug. But like it chooses you. Like I always thought I was funny, but I never thought I could be funny on purpose. You know what I mean? Mm. I never thought you could put me on stage. I could, like I could be funny, in, in, you know, in the instant. But one time, my uh, girlfriend back in Delaware, that girl Reed I talked about, in 1995, she's like, "What are you doing this date? I'll never forget August, whatever." And I said, "Nothing. Why?" And I figured we were doing something with friends. She's like, "Good. I signed you up for an open mic." And I went, "Wow." Up, and I'm like, "All right, fuck it. I'll do it because I didn't." I'm like, "Fuck it. I'm not going to back away from this." So I write this set, and this is Wilmington, Delaware. I'd lived in Newark, Delaware for five years. I'd lived in Wilmington for five years. And Wilmington and Newark, Delaware are the only cities in fucking. It's basically like Manhattan and Brooklyn of Delaware, okay? But it's a. It's I've a been smaller. to Wilmington. I've been to Wilmington. I, I went to a Wilmington Blue Rocks game. Dude, I used to live there. I went when fucking Johnny uh, Damon. That's how old I am. Was on them and Royals. They were the, the Royals minor league franchise. So I get up on stage and I'm not kidding, Tony. There had to be at least fifty. I, I wouldn't doubt a hundred people there that knew me at this club, okay? So I go on stage and I kill. I don't kill. Everything I say, they laugh at, and I think I kill. So I'm like, wow. And I do, so I'm all full of myself, and I realize this much later. Uh, so uh, about a month later, I go to Philly to do a show, and I bring my girl and like three couples. We go like on a big date night, because I'm gonna crush, and I eat my ass like I deserve to, because I've done comedy at that point, oh yeah, two times <laughs> in my life. And I eat it, and in that moment, I realized it was humiliating in a way, but now I look back, and I realized if it was as easy as I thought it was the first time I did it, I wouldn't have kept doing it. It's like, it would have been just like a fun little exercise. But it was the second time I did it, I'm like, oh, this is, I'm embarrassed that I thought it was that easy. And I worked at it. And that's when it claimed my soul. Like, like people don't be like, very few people are like, I'm so funny, I'm gonna get on stage. Even the greatest ones like Burr and fucking Louis C.K., I don't know if they always wanted to be comedians, but even if they did, they don't even think, they never think they're good enough, you know? These guys that just get on stage, oh, I'm Jeremy Piven, people love me, I'm funny. These girls that are like, I'm, I'm a cute girl, I have something to say. No, you don't. Drink, people drink. Um, so I'm curious, that's how it sucked me. How did you wind up doing stand-up? I got into doing it because uh, I had gotten let go from a radio station. And ah, you got fired. I got fired. You got I, fired from a radio <clears throat> station? That never happened. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, it's just stable, <clears throat> long-term. Yeah, cause, well, because they... They didn't really like uh, some of the things I would say on the air, uh, and especially tweeting. Like, for example, we uh, 
we were the home of the Cleveland Browns, and they, Marv Albert was calling at one of the Browns games, and I said, is he doing the game at a leather bustier? And I got a little talking to for that by saying, you do, you do realize we're a CBS radio station, and uh, Marv Albert, uh, whatever. So I got fired, and I needed a job quick. And I ended up, uh, I was a tour guide at the Christmas Story House in Cleveland. Quit bragging. Tony. I know, I know. My, I was making 11 bucks an hour. As and, I always say at this point, now this is just me rubbing your nose in my success. But go on, buddy. <laughs> so I was doing, uh, I was doing uh, tours there and working in the museum and everything. And it got, my, got me an opportunity to kind of be funny and I got some good feedback. And at the same time, I had a friend of mine who was a, a really failed comic from the 90s. Uh, he was doing radio in town, and he's you said also you were going to leave me out of this story. No, Tony, you. But fine, no, you on. didn't work. You didn't work in radio in Cleveland. <laughs> no, that was. No, that's. Uh, no, that's Craig Carton. But anyways, um, <laughs> Craig Carton. Craig Carton, who worked in Cleveland for one year. I didn't know that. He did. He uh, he worked at Three uh, We when the Cavaliers were playing at the Richfield Coliseum, which is about uh, five minutes away from me. Um, but I got into doing it because he's like. Hey, uh, he's like, Tone, I'm doing a, doing a show at the Cleveland Improv. You want to come down, do a guest set? And I'm like, I, I turned him down before because I'm like, I'm not ready. But right. I just, I, I really got into joke structure I'm and everything. Again. And this again shows the respect you have for comedy. Because when people used to sit at the cellar, I was never good at promoting myself. Because you're, <clears throat> am I wrong to say, you have this, like you look at people who do comedy with respect and reverence and an awe, and you would look at the comics say, when I got here, I'm not kidding, Bill Burr, Nick DiPaolo, Patrice O'Neill, and you're like, wow, these guys are so good. And you, you'd always think you weren't ready, but these other comics that are just like, I'm funny. Like I used to say, people got gigs at the cellar because they would sit by somebody from Comedy Central and be like, Tony, I'm funny, I'm funny, I'm funny. And then the guy at Comedy Central doesn't do his job well, and when they're looking for funny people, it's like, you know that Tony Mazur keeps saying he's funny, and they, they put him on TV, and it's bullshit. Because we're the guys that are like, we have so much respect and we never think we're good enough because we hold comedy in such high regard. You know what I mean? Yeah. So back to you. You're like, so I'm not ready. I'm not ready. And I finally, I caved because I had nothing else to do. And I was a, I was going through a relationship that was dying at the time. And apparently she, she was fucking everyone and buying a dog. No, not, not. No, this is a different girlfriend. This one didn't fuck anybody, including me. And I mean, that's comedy, what you just did. See, it, that's what I do on my show. I'm the straight man. I'll say something cute, and then someone will say something funny. That's all right. Back to so you. She, so she was, she, anything I did wouldn't impress her. And it was like, well, what are you performing in front of me? Or were you trying to be funny? I'm like, yeah, maybe I am. So I will do this. <laughs> so I go on stage, and she never so once. So it was revenge. So this was like revenge is why you did it. Yeah. So, well, and what happened was she couldn't Homer, make it. Homer, why are you do adopting a child? They should. Don't say revenge. Don't say revenge. Revenge! That's it. <laughs> I'm out of here. And his head just fucking slams the door. Go on. <laughs> That's like the family guy thing. It's like, so why do you want this job? It's like, don't say doing your wife. Doing your, don't say doing your wife. Doing your son. <laughs> and he hires him. So she, so she was a, uh, so I, I'm like, all right, I'm going to do this. But she didn't go that night. And they weren't doing guest sets on Saturday, which I didn't know that until I went up there. So I did the I did the set. I thought I did fairly well for being pretty drunk. But again, it was like you. I had friends in the audience. I had people. Yeah. Uh, even the owner of the improv, uh, Lee Herlands at the time, because the other guy who was doing a guest set who hadn't done comedy, he points at him and says, you suck. You should never fucking ever go on my stage again. You were terrible. 
points over to me and says, you, not bad. How long have you been doing it? And I really didn't want to say that was my first time on stage. Right. Because he would, he would have banned me. But I'm like, ah, oh, you know, not long, but I've been getting around. He's like, if you, I got a tape of you. If you want to work with me and stuff, we'll, we'll get you polished yeah. everything. So then the second time I did stand-up was in an open mic. And I'm like, all right, let's do it. I'll do the That's same material. The last time I did stand-up was an open mic. <laughs> right, we'll, we'll, do, we'll do the same material. that I thought it killed at one time. I go up there, and I'm getting lighted at like two minutes. Just I am eating my dick so bad. And I'm like, well, I guess it's just not for me. Maybe I, I tried it. I could say I did it. I could say I did stand-up at one time. And right. it, it took a long time for me to want to get back on stage. And the, there were two people who really helped me. One of them was... Uh, I got to I got to see Kevin Pollack and I talked to him for a little bit and the other was Bob Levy, and Bob no Levy's no way I didn't realize you were in the Bob Levy the Bob Levy class that's great Bob Levy gave me his card he said reach out anytime uh, and then eventually about my first paid gig was with Bob Levy and uh, I got a got a chance to do do it with Levy so now this is um, God what what why this might have been wife number three. Because he was coming around a lot at this time yeah. because his third wife was from... I'm guessing it was wife number three, Paula, because she was the longest. He was living in his basement. I'm guessing... I'm going to... I feel like I'm on a game show. I'm going to say it was wife number three. I, Circle it, gets the square. Wife number three, Gino. I think it was... I think wife number three was Christine. Or is that wife number four? I'm, I'm losing track because he's on another wife now. Wife number three was... Yeah, three was Christine, two was Paula. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's like what the fuck. Yeah, he yeah, needs right. he needs one more to fill out a, a basketball team. Then excuse me, two was taller. Yeah, as he said, taller. Yeah, so uh, that that's why I got into doing stand up, and it really wasn't good, and it took me a while. And to be honest, I'm still growing. Seven years into doing this, I'm still well, trying to find growing. my voice because yeah, at first you, you want to say the most offensive thing. Like if I was of the camp, I was of the 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 Norton, the Patrice O'Neill, the uh, Bill Burr, the Dave Attell camp of say the funniest thing and deal with the consequences later. The yeah. problem is, and the biggest thing that I heard at the beginning, <clears throat> which I don't know if you can say anymore, where they said, don't blame the audience, blame yourself. But I think you can start blaming audiences. Not, not completely, but there is an ex... ex well, I'll, 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 I'll say this, because doing the weekend with Florentine a, couple, or a week ago or two weeks ago, Right. was fantastic because it was people who actually want to be at a comedy club. They didn't right. pay for the room. These are people that says, I'm sick of being locked down. I'm sick of being stuck at home. I want to go out and I want to have a couple of drinks and I want to laugh. And so yeah. their expectation is to go into laugh instead of before. It's like, okay, funny man, make me laugh then. And that's what it seemed like for a while where the woke crowd was, which the woke crowd never gets laughs. They never get laughs, but they get gigs because they're woke. And that's what yeah, started and, bothering and me they, is I start I, when I would start putting my availability in different places. They would say, "Ah, you know your your material, your humor, and your personality won't really go with this room." Okay, then I'll go to another room. Right. But it's discouraging when you start by saying like, "Oh, because I like making sex jokes or I'm making dick jokes about this and that," or if I delve into political correctness. And because I'm not apologizing for being white and I'm not apologizing for my privilege and checking my privilege at the door. Uh, well, I always, no. say, I always say politics is like, excuse me, anything, politics, racism, it's all like, it's all like a loaded gun. And if you give a child a loaded gun, he's going to hurt himself and, and, and the people around him. But if you give an adult a loaded gun who knows who's responsible, who knows how to handle it, then everyone is safe. Then everyone's in the best possible situation. And that's me. 
I don't say anything on stage that I won't sit there and discuss. I had a woman one time come up to me after a show and she's like, you were hilarious. I didn't like any of your Holocaust jokes. And we talked, old, older <clears throat> Jewish woman, for 10 minutes and debated it. And when we were done, she's like, I still don't like them. But at least she understood. And that happens so rarely. It's like, look, I've been to Anne Frank's house. I, I, I have. And you get there and these people that don't laugh, I'm like, the reason I have so many jokes about it is because it's bo it bothers me so deeply and I need to try and make it right or I need to disarm how upsetting it is to me with comedy. And when you go to Anne Frank's house or the Holocaust Museum or the any of these, where the people that don't laugh have never been, they just say, I didn't laugh at that because it's terrible. No, you're an idiot. When you go to Anne Frank's house, I'm telling, have you ever been, Tone? I have not, no. When you go there, and I, I stand by this, I didn't even want to go. I was in Amsterdam. I did fucking the Van Gogh Museum, which was great. I, I went to a, a coffee shop and got, and these girls are like, let's go there. I didn't want to go. And when you get there, all the adjectives fall away, and you realize it wasn't Jews being killed by Germans. It was humans killing other humans. And when you take the adjectives out, we're all humans, and you feel sick to your stomach that you're a part of something that let that happen. You yeah. really are. And then suddenly it's like, all right, I'm, I'm not immune to it. I'm just fucking not going to let this fucking tragedy ruin my life right now. And that's what I do with that. That's what I believe at the show. And, and I had this conversation where they're like, let me tell you, I still get sick to my stomach. I've read the Diary of Anne Frank. I make jokes, but I've read it three fucking times. And she's the woman. And she could have been such a piece of shit. She's like, I think everything's going to be all right with the world. And people are like, no, I don't know any of that. I just know the second I hear it to fucking groan and boo and let everyone, everyone in the crowd know that I think the Holocaust was bad. You're the one. We were all big on it. <laughs> we're all going to fucking. But that's what they do. And it's like, what? What, between me and you, between you booing, young lady, and me trying to disarm it, who's the asshole? Who's the asshole? And it's usually me, but I don't care because I'm going <laughs> to keep doing it. Because I, I did another time. Berg was at the show. We talk about it all the time. And uh, and we did. Uh, we were at uh, the, the West Side Comedy Club, and I'm doing the joke. And some old guy in the back, when I do it, goes, he literally, and I mean old. He had to be every bit of 65. And you can be respectful, but he's like, He's like, boo, the Holocaust was terrible. And I looked at him, I said, look, I get it, dude. You're white, you feel guilty. You probably still use the word colored in an everyday conversation, but this isn't the place to fucking purge your soul. I'm like, now I'm really gonna lay into it. And by the end of the set, half the crowd was laughing. I I'm telling you, one point Berg will tell you if you ever talk to him, I got a solid 15 person boo. I got a solid 15, boo. And I'm like, and I said, <coughs> after the set, I'm like, my name is Gino Visconti, G-E-N-O. Uh, not with an eye for when you fill out your Yelp review. And if you want to talk, I'll be at the bar after the show. And then I'm at the bar after the show, drinking with my boy Bo, the bartender there. And Berg went up after me, and of course he fucking takes it and kills because he he always every time he goes up after me, one of those. I think I think half the time I want to fucking do that just for shits and giggles. Uh, and he got up. He's like, they liked me. I'm like, why? I'm like, I'm like, why? Why did you let them like you? Maybe you're not doing your job. And I swear he's like, fuck you. <laughs> um, <laughs> But after the show, you know, came up to me five people saying, I thought you were great. All the people that had a problem with me, they don't they don't come and talk to you. They don't. They're like they're like, Oh, now I have nothing to say. But unless you're why, unless you're Nick DiPaolo where you get punched afterward. Oh, but that's why I circle back to that older Jewish woman that was like she wasn't like, You're an asshole. She, you could tell she's like she liked me and she's like, I just wish you wouldn't do that. And I'm like and I said, I'm sorry, I can't stop. I'm not gonna be able to stop doing it. But it, that's the conversation you wanna have. And I <laughs> I am that guy that then people are like, oh, he's just a racist who tells stupid jokes. I'm like, yeah, you're not my guy because I think I think what I'm saying in a way is fucking brilliant. I really do. When I say faggot born wrong, I'm telling you, people are like, what an idiot. I'm like, I think I'm a genius. I really do. Well, and, and it's the unpredictability of comedy is that if you're going to a comedy show, you shouldn't know what you're going to expect. I mean, unless you're going to see if you're going to see a tell. 
for example, you know that there's going to be jokes. They're not going to be political. You're just going to go. But with comedy, and especially like a showcase where it's a bunch of comics that are up there, that you got to expect that you're not going to agree politically, socially, uh, with everything that's going to be said. You just right. have to understand that where it's coming from. And that's what the problem with that woke crowd with, with comedy is that, no, you have to be 100% with me or you're 100% against me. And I'm like, eh. So I, I did a number of those just to get, <clears throat> just to get my, uh, my bearing straight in front of audiences that I'm not going to be familiar with. Like I was doing so many one-nighters and open mics at rest like taco and burrito restaurants. And I bought it in hipster neighborhoods and I bombed right. so hard. And I, I probably, if I went up to that place, I'd still bomb. But I, the only line that I got a chuckle out of was when I did a joke and nothing. I mean, it's nothing. Like, and to the point where I'm like, you know, you're bombing when you hear the sound of the tortilla chips crunching inside the salsa. <laughs> yeah. And I'm oh, just yeah. like, you can't, I'm like, but you know what? It, it hardens you. But it discourages you at the same time where you're like, well, fuck these people. But then at the same time, you go, now I want to go back and do it again. Now I want to yeah. see, if, see if you really. But, if you... But, for, but for me, it's like the next time, it's like next time I go up here, I really want to piss you off. And not only piss you off, I don't want you to be silent. I want you to leave and go in the other room. I'll give you something to cry about. I always say that. That's what <laughs> my parents used to say. And I, let me tell you, there they are. Far left is my mother. That's my father. That's my Aunt Olga. That's my Uncle Frank. But I was they, wondering who those were. They look like a Rat Pack photo. Oh, dude, they are like they're they're incredible. But they used to say, and I'll say it again. I say it all the time. I grew up in a Norman Rockwell painting. You just think everyone has a normal life. You have, but I'm telling you, look, that's that's my mother on the far, like in the black dress. That's my dad. That's my aunt, Olga and Uncle Frank at like a dinner dance in in like uh, Buna, because in, we didn't say Buena, right? B U E N A. We pronounce it Buena Vista, not Buena Vista. Uh, like in the in the 60s, but. You know, when you started getting upset for no reason, because you're like, oh, my mother be like, I'll give you something to cry about. And that's what you're saying. That's what I'm, I do. Like when the crowd's like, oh, we're upset. I'll give you. That was harmless. I'm trying to help you and you're going to cry. I'll give you something to cry about. Yeah, and I love that you said that. You're like, I, I, now I need to double down and get you to walk out in disgust. And, <laughs> and, and they, they, you know what they love to do? I always say, and they did it at that tiny covered show we've been talking about. They pied Piper out. They're like, I'm leaving. And they want everyone to march out behind You're an asshole. Them. Yeah. Oh, if you get the chance, guys, uh, and you probably did, did you? I, I tweeted it. I can't tweet it now because I'm suspended, I think. I don't know. Um, but the clip from Tuesdays with Stories, because Joe List was at that tiny covered show, and it is a, a hilarious 10 minutes where he talks about me being on stage and Bird going up after me and just the dipshits in the crowd, and it is hilarious. And he says it. He's like, he's like at one point, somebody yells, you stink, get off the stage, Gino. And Liz goes, if someone yells at me, I'm like, man, they're probably right, maybe I do. Because Liz is hilarious, don't get me wrong, but his act is so, he's clever and clean and, and, and adorable and just brilliant. He's one of my favorites. And he's like, if someone says that to me, it's like, ah, oh, maybe he's right, I do suck, I'll get on stage. Gino leans into it and he doubles down and now it's getting worse. And it's just a great listen. Uh, it's Tuesdays with stories. I'll, I'll find the link and retweet it when I'm back on. But it, it's fucking. I listened to it, and I, my brother listened to it. He's like, "Oh, Gene, your nephew," and that's that's the best. My nephew, he's 16 years. Like, your nephew was losing his mind. I don't think he's ever been proud of you, prouder of you, Uncle Gino, and that is saying something. Because I don't know if you know this, my nephew, no matter what I do, thinks I'm great. Yeah, exactly. Great. Is that the one who wore the bike shop T-shirt to uh, to school the one day, or no, with, with, no, with, with the cock niece, and ball? I oh. a, I, no, I got my niece the Gino's. Uh, Skate shop. Yeah, that's and it. That's... I got it for Christmas. Perk's like, you know, there's a dick hidden in it. I'm like, no. 
<laughs> like my niece is wearing that. <laughs> Maybe she's wearing it for a senior picture. But my nephew, like I tell him all the time, I stole one of your bits. Uh, and it's like what I do in my act now is because when my nephew was eight, and I know I'm that uncle and I'm biased, but they're the greatest. Whenever I used to tell a dumb joke, like to my brother, and I'm not kidding, he was eight, and he would look at my brother and say, let me explain the joke, Dad. And my brother's <laughs> like, I get it, Nick. I don't think you do. It's really clever. He called your mom a whore, Nick. I don't know how this Uncle Chino guy does it. He's really... So now, during my set, like, I'll do a dumb joke, and I'll be let me explain the joke. Like, I do a joke where I open up the set, and I say, I'm like, look, and no matter where we are, now more than ever, like, you know, we'll be doing a show on a park, in, in, a, in a park in... Uh, <laughs> in Central Park stand-up New York show, and I'll be like, all right, I know it doesn't realize it, but this is a comedy club. We're in a safe place. And then I'll look at a woman, I'll be like, remember when your uncle said that? And the people giggle. And then I'll point at someone giggling, because not because some people are afraid. I'll be like, you get it? Her uncle raped her. <coughs> all right, so, and I'll just keep going, but I'm explaining the dumb joke. And I always tell Nick, I'm like, it kills, Nick. That's You're what, I, I, that. I, I would do that too, but I do a different way where I would, I would bend down and I would say, by the way, for the millennials in the crowd right now, yeah. Uh, yeah. Paul Lind was a uh, center square on uh, Hollywood Squares back in the 1970s. Peter Marshall hosted the show. Anyways, and yeah. it's those asides that get some people. But it's interesting because yeah. I am a millennial, but I'm one of the older millennials who I really should have been born in the 50s or the 40s. Uh, I, I'm born in 1988, and I'm of the generation of the participation trophy and ribbon generation where... Now you have all these people in their 30s working at Applebee's after getting yeah. their master's degree, but because they and they change jobs so many different times. And I'm like, see, this mindset is what is really hurting society. And we've done that. We've done that to my generation. I told our kids, no, no, it's okay. You, even if you came in last, you're still going to be in the playoffs. Oh, no, yeah. you can't be in the playoffs because you fucking sucked. But we now have a generation and a half of of adults now that are like this that 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 now they get they get pr jobs and they get hr jobs and they do this and they're the ones who are getting offended at comedy clubs i, I don't know what to tell you so it's god it's just it's it's irritating in a lot of ways but it's also fun in different ways because that's where like you and i are kind of the same where we'll say vile things but we're charming when we do it yeah well i mean what's his name said it once I, i'm sure he's not the first one to say it but he literally said, uh, we're the reason, who was it? Russell Peters, because I, I do this other podcast a couple times a month with uh, Ralph Sutton over at Gas Digital called SDR Podcast. And fucking Russell Peters said, he's like, we're to blame for this. It's like, it's like you said it, the, we, 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 we raise kids in this participation trophy, fucking, you know, everyone's a winner. Everyone fucking, you know, has it. And, and they, these people have it, it, social media now and they think anything they say is important and it matters and they're champions and and they just have this political career and they they don't know what they're saying they just say oh my god i'm gonna virtue signal that this is bad and they just try and cancel people thinking they're accomplishing anything and they're not but we're to blame for this in a way because we we empowered them saying yeah you're always right and you're you're a winner everyone's a winner some people aren't winners no let me tell you something i was not good at baseball i couldn't hit a curve like i i petered out in high school when i bailed out the third time on a curveball that was a strike and i'm lying on the ground like i'd just been sexually assaulted like yeah you're not <laughs> good at this gene you could be a pinch runner next year it's a small school and we like you but that's it you know and people need to be told you know one of my favorite stories about my mother is i'm playing baseball literally you know and i was i was good i was good in literally I, I was because you know because they let everyone play and I hit a ball once, I was a little guy, I hit a ball over everyone's head, 
And I remember watching it, just staring at it, because I'd never hit one that far. And a voice from the crowd yells, run, stupid. <laughs> run, stupid. You know who it was, Tony? It was my mother. Yes. So I, so I start running, and it should have been a home run, because I was a little fast guy. But I, I only got to second base, so I'm on second base, I'm, and I'm standing there facing the crowd, and everyone's looking at my mother like she's an insane woman, right? And then we leave. We leave, and we're walking. I'll never get walking. She's like, now all these women think your mother is a monster because you're too stupid to run out a hit, and you know that. And I, I, I wrote a, I wrote a piece about it once because it's brilliant. I just called it "Run Stupid" because that's the thing. It is stupid. It's one thing in this day and age, in, in, in anyone's life, when you know what to do and you don't do it, you're stupid or lazy. When you don't know to do something, well, that's a learning experience. But when you sit there and you know exactly what to do and you don't, well, you're stupid. And and I'll never forget. Like she yelled it, and everyone's like, "This woman is a monster!" And I'm telling you, I was laughing. I was in second base, laughing, saying, "Thank God she did that, or I would have been tagged out, still standing at home plate." Oh yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. But that's people need to be told you're stupid. You're sometimes you're stupid, and that's another reason I say, people always. I'm sure you get this. Oh, you're really funny, Tony. Were your parents funny growing up? Your parents are your parents growing up. If you wake up every day and your dad punches your mom in the face, you think that's normal. Thank God I had the opposite of that. I, you know what I mean? Yeah, your mom and punched your dad. Yeah, that, because he was a stupid little <laughs> fucking cop. I do a joke in my act. They never let him. But I, I always say, if my dad, after I do a joke about hitting women, and I bet you can relate. If, and I love when I used to do shows and there was a family, like of parents and kids are like, how's this going to go? I'm like, it's going to go great. Watch. And I'll do that joke about hitting women. And the only person that laughs harder than the kids is the mother. And I say, you guys get him. Like, imagine, I look at the kids, I'm like, imagine your dad came home one day and said, you know what, I've had it. I'm going to hit your mom. And they, they never go, oh, they're always like, oh, my God. I'm like, right? Because she'd kill that stupid fuck. And they're like, yes. And, and that's the household I grew up in where when you did something stupid, my mother wasn't the world that we see now. No, no, baby, it's okay. My mother was like, that was really stupid. Do it again. Do it again. Yeah. And, and that's how you learn to not take yourself seriously. And people do now. They're like, oh, everything I say is very serious. And I have all these followers on Twitter. And I, shut up. <clears throat> shut up. You, you were mentioning about families in the crowd. One time, it, it was, God, it was like my first or second year of doing stand-up. Uh, I got an opportunity. So this is a week ago, right? Yeah, exactly. It was, uh, it was Thursday. Yeah. <laughs> this is my Thursday gig. It's great. I, I remember like it was two days ago. It was three. <laughs> well, I, was doing a, I was doing a weekend with Rich Foss. And Voss has a joke in his bit that it's it's a throwaway joke that he always does. But uh, my parents wanted to go to see the show because my my mom is a huge O and A guy and my dad's sure. a big uh, big comedy fan. And Voss does a joke where he's like, "Are you two married?" And they're like, "Oh yeah." And, and my parents are right there. He does. It's like, how how old and dry is that pussy right now? God, that thing like it's got to be to like your an old mother. To, your mother? to my mom. It's like that's got to be like an old catcher's mitt that you're just like you need some oil and you just got to work it. Like that. Oh, and I'm uh, not embarrassed because it's 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 comedy. It's humor. Yes, it's about my parents, but it's hilarious. Uh, I did a show once where boss years ago, so long, like 15 plus years ago, and my mother's in the crowd. I'll never forget. It's when they were still alive. That's how long ago it was. I I, I must have been doing it maybe two years, maybe, uh, and boss looks at my mother and says your son's gonna be a big star someday and she's all smile and then I'm gonna land on the moon and she just <laughs> lost her mind laughing uh, uh, she's like he said you're terrible like, oh. <laughs> but it's so and she just laughs she's like he is and then I'm gonna land on the moon she's like oh I get it he's not funny <laughs> you know she didn't go like no no my son and she just laughed oh my god the fucking second show I told you about how did I not tell this story so that second show where I bombed 
Mm-hmm. I'll never forget. We all drove. We were in Philly. And we drove uh, a couple weeks later. We would always go by my house when we were going to Atlantic City from Delaware. And we're at my house. It's me. My, my, my mother's making like a nice Italian lunch for me. My friend Kathy, her husband Glenn, my best friend Glenn now, uh, back then. And there's four of us. And she's like, how was your show, baby? And I'm like, I'm like, it was terrible. And my mother goes like this. She goes, aw, tell me the jokes you bombed. No, I said, I bombed. And she goes, aw, tell me the jokes you bombed with, baby. That's what she said. <laughs> tell me the jokes you bombed. To this day, I still text. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to text my friend Kathy right now and say I'm telling that story. But to this day, my friend Kathy will still text me and say, oh, tell me the jokes you bombed with, baby. And that that's my mother in a nutshell. Watch, I'm going to text the speech. Kathy, I'm on a podcast right now, and I'm telling the story about tell me the jokes you bombed with, baby, period, period, period. Sorry. <laughs> um, but to this day, to this day, she will send me a text out of the blue, and it will never not make me laugh. Tell me the jokes you bombed with, baby. Let's see what she says. Anyway, back to you. But yeah, that and that—that's what it. Uh, telling, I'm telling you, sir, about some of the. Okay, so, um, what was I going to say? But that's that's how I grew up. This goes all the way back to. I'll give you something to cry about, and it's like never take, never let me take myself seriously. My mother. This is the second time she, she's like, she's like, that was her saying. I know my son, and he's an idiot. And <laughs> I'm like, and I'm telling her, I'm like, oh, I did so well the first show, and I still didn't understand. I'm like, I don't understand, mom. And she's like, well, she's like. It's like, maybe you need to work a little hard. I'm like, yeah. Because, of course, I'm, I'm like so funny. I don't remember. It was so long ago. But I'm sure I'm like, I'll just do the same set. I'll bring the same set list and I'll just kill again. Because I'm so, she's like, ah, tell me the jokes you bombed with. But that's uh, that's what goes on now. Yeah, she just sent me a hard thing. That's what goes on now. It's like it's like these kids, like, it's like these uh, these millennials, these, these fucking Jeremy Pivens. I'm funny. I'm popular. Everything I say people care about. It's not what you care about. You, you need to make them, you have to have a point. And if you, if. If you don't stand for something, you'll stand for anything. And if you're not grounded in what you're saying, like if I didn't believe in the shit I was saying, I'd be like, I gotta fucking change my act. No, it's like I gotta fucking double down. Well, and it's I what it's believe. what you think is funny, but not everything you think is funny is going to translate. So you have to translate what you think is funny into something that others would find funny. Yeah, that's the that's yeah. the equation with the comedy. Yeah, and people just and that's the thing. It's like people nowadays are like, oh, I'm funny. You're not. No one's funny till you've been doing it for so long and. <laughs> when you you said it you're like it's a work you're never you're never fucking funny enough for yourself you're like all right this has got to be you know how many times have you said i'm so sick of my one of the first times i was ever in new york 2001 i'll never forget i used to go to the cellar all the time and it wasn't a piece of shit i used to go there all the time and one time norton gets off stage and he kills and he's like i'm so sick of my act and that's what that's what fucking makes you right you're like i get that way all the time it's like like i have something on my door now where because when when the fucking pandemic kicked in I was so lucky to do the show four days a week, five if you include Dumb Fridays. Uh, I was so lucky to still write for radio, so I'm like, I'm still working the muscle. I'm still fucking writing jokes. But there's no replacement for getting on stage, obviously. You know that, Tony. And, and it's like, when I got on stage like three months, four months later, finally, I went to that part in my brain with the act, and I couldn't remember more than like 10, 10 fucking minutes of my fucking, what was up to 45. I was working on my next album. Like, I got a solid 45. Just go over to LOL. I'm sure they'll yeah. let you. <laughs> and I, but I, dude, I, I still, I haven't done it now because it's shit now. But even when back then I used to stand by, I'm like, I can get on stage, get 20 bucks to work on new shit. It's not like I'm doing the fucking uh, stand-up New York or, or, or New York Comedy Club where it's like, well, I, I want to do my good stuff. I want to be funny. It's like I get paid to try new shit. And it was the best thing ever for me, you know? I still stand by that. People are like, oh, it's such a shit club. I'm like, what do you, what do you want? It's not about, it's not for me anymore. And I, uh, God bless you if you, Still think getting on stage five nights a week 
at some of the best clubs in New York is going to get you fucking a, a TV deal. Because if it is, great. I'm not saying it's not going to happen, but I'm saying it's never going to happen for me. No one's going to look at me and say, oh, my God, we need to have a show. We need to bring back all in the family, and Gina will be the racist neighbor. No, I'm just going to say what I want to say, and if you get it, great. And if you're going to pay me 20 bucks to work it out at New York, excuse me, at LOL Comedy Club on tourists, which is another thing. Yeah, I live in New York, and I like the, the fucking the, the NY, New York, uh, the NYU crowd. Well, you're an idiot. I want fucking comic, that, I want fucking jokes that are fucking going to work all over the country. You know, I want yeah. jokes that are going to work. I shouldn't even say all over the country, but for, you know, for, for America. Not for fucking snobby New Yorkers who are like, yeah, we are so woke. And, and we don't want it. The second you say uh, color, or if you say, you know, uh, faggot, we're just turning you off. Because obviously you hate people. Yeah. Anyone that's hung out with me knows I, I'm no fun to hang out with. I hate people. <laughs> that was part one of my conversation with Gino Bisconti. Stay tuned pretty soon for part two with Gino. Thanks for listening, everybody.